you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Anna Mae Wong was the most famous of Chinese-American actresses in Hollywood, starting in the silent film era. Her work continued to uh, talkies all the way through television when she died at a comparatively young age, but left behind a number of films with characters that she tried to subvert in a number of ways and deal with the stereotypes that were so much a part of American film in the era in which uh, most of her acting was done. Now we have a new biography of Wong titled Daughter of the Dragon, Anime Wong's Rendezvous with American History. It's written by a guest who's been with us a number of times on the program, Yunte Huang, who's professor of English at UC Santa Barbara, a Guggenheim Fellow. Thank you so much, Yunte, for joining us again to talk about the legacy of Anime Wong. Well, thank you for having me, Larry. She's an Angelino growing up oh, uh, right there, Chinatown of Los Angeles. Share with us how she got her start in pictures. Well, as you said, uh, she was really a hometown girl for the you know people in Los Angeles, and uh, she was born in you know on South Flower Street. Those years, it's gone because of the Union Station it replaced the original Chinatown. Exactly. Yeah. But when she was you know growing up in L.A., there was no street for Chinese to to walk on safely, really. And the Chinatown, even within Chinatown, you know, um, the infamous uh, 1871 Chinese massacre was took place within Chinatown, and 18 Chinese were killed, tortured, lynched, and burned. Uh, anyway, and that was only three decades before she was born. So when she was growing up, you know, chi- when Chinese uh, needed to venture outside the safety zone of, of Chinatown. They often wear this uh, this police whistle, right? Uh, you know, when you're in, in danger, you blow the vocal for the help. So her father, as a laundryman, and she will also tag along to help with the delivery and everything. Her father will will uh, will wear a, a police whistle. So that is really the context when there's virulent anti-Chinese, you know, sentiment uh, in L.A. And lo and behold, there came Hollywood, and Hollywood. Uh, was rising at the time, and uh, the fact that she was, you know, born in Chinatown and uh, grew up in the vicinity of Chinatown gave her sort of kind of ironically uh, some kind of advantage, right? And those decades were, you know, a lot of we have so-called uh, movie-struck girls, right, coming from Ohio or Midwest, um, but you know they will buy just one-way train ticket, mm-hmm. uh, step off uh, Central Station, later on Union Station, dreaming of becoming, you know, a star. For Anime Wong, well, Hollywood came to her, right? It's like the Debbie Reynolds, right? <laughs> exactly. the local person. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because uh, uh, Chinatown, because of, you know, due to its kind of so-called exotic, uh, you know, uh, look, uh, the street, the shops, the curiosity shops, the displays, and people wearing different kind of clothes, walking around, rubbernecking and everything, it was a ready-made set for Hollywood. So it really cost-saving, you know, uh, um, 
production. They will come across town and uh, and shoot the scenes, street scenes. As a result, uh, Anime One got addicted to to filmmaking. And she was and, only fourteen years old when when she got her start. Yeah, when she got she got lucky, during, you know, because uh, there was the middle of the Spanish flu. Uh, it's you know we just got over COVID or well, not totally. Uh, the Spanish flu in the middle of that there was the there were two like major, well at that time called the yellow flicks. These are Chinese theme you know films. One is the you know uh, uh, is the Blossom uh, film, and the other is uh, the Broken Blossom uh, by uh, D. W. Griffith, the famous uh, Griffith, and the other one was uh, the Red Lantern, and that's the one. That required 600 Chinese extras. Wow! Because it was about you know the Boxer Rebellion in Peking, and they required Chinese extras, and it was difficult to to round up 600 live bodies in the middle of a pandemic, and because people are dying on the street literally, and so everyone got lucky and got picked to be one of the three kind of lantern carriers. Uh, and she was very proud, of course. She saved um, one week worth of lunch money, you know, and took her friends out to the theater to, to watch herself, the debut. Wow. But of course, she couldn't find herself. Her friends are like, which one is you? And she said, I don't know, maybe the one on the outside. <laughs> Despite that, uh, apparently, you know, her beauty and talent uh, got the attention of uh, famous Ala Ala Nazimova. The, the queen was of a silent huge era. silent screen absolutely. star, yes. uh, absolutely uh -huh. huge star. We're talking with Yunte Wang, who is professor of English, UC Santa Barbara, and author of the new book on anime Wong, Daughter of the Dragon. We're talking about her career beginning in silence when she was just a, a teenager and then moving up into thir uh, films of the 1930s. In 1931, she's in Daughter of the Dragon, uh, playing the daughter of the character Fu Manchu, who was played not by uh, a Chinese-American actor, but by white actor Warner Oland. In this scene from the film, Fu Manchu is dying, lamenting he doesn't have a son to carry on his legacy. But uh, his daughter, Princess Ling Moi, steps up. Death lays its hands upon me, and my sacred work is unfinished. A Petri still lives. The dishonor is burned upon my forehead. Master, let this unworthy slave finish the sacred work. Only one of the house of Fu can redeem our honor. The blood is mine. The hate is mine. The vengeance shall be mine. My flower daughter, the knife would wither your petal fingers. Gods, my ancestors, if only thou had granted me another son. Father, father, I will be your son. I will be your son. From Daughter in the Dragon, Anna Mae Wong, alongside actor Warner Oland, uh, in a, fil a Fu Manchu film in which she plays his daughter. Uh, Yunte, um, how important was this film to her career and establishing her stardom? Well, this is really definitive and a vintage Anna Mae Wong film, right? Uh, <laughs> this is, you know, what I call the apotheosis of the Dragon Lady, when... Um, uh, anime one step up and uh, you know became Dr. Fu Manchu's son uh, and kind of playing this androgynous uh, character. 
And uh, so if you look it up, you know, the, the dictionary definition of dragon lady, you'll find it right there, you know. <laughs> uh, so this, of course, is very important. And it's also kind of cemented her legacy. It's somewhat, you know, um, ambiguous le legacy uh, for a lot of Chinese Americans. On the one hand, you know, she's a revered. It is a very powerful performance. On the other hand, a lot of people blame her for perpetu perpetuating this stereotype of a dragon lady. Right? And how did she respond to that criticism? Because she faced it in, in her own day. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I think I want to step back a little bit to, uh, to, to you know, kind of contextualize her moment. This moment of her performance was very important for her in her career because she just came back, as you know, after the Red Lantern, and she went on to actually play a starring, you know, lead role in The Toll of the Sea, which is kind of unusual um, to cast a Chinese, real Chinese actress in a, in a film, uh, Toll of the Sea, 1922. But ironically, the reason she was picked is another kind of Madame Butterfly story, um, but it was the first Technicolor film, and uh, they really needed... Uh, a real Chinese person to test the color, how good it was. So it's kind of ironic. Yeah, it is. Uh, so after that, she basically, she will be, she became a big star in Hollywood. So the irony at the time was that no f China film uh, could not do without her, but no China film could do with her as the lead. And so eventually she got you know, upset. So she left off for, for Europe, big, became a big star in Germany. And, uh, and then later on, she went on to say to, to England, Piccadilly, the swan song of silent era. And um, it's almost like Josephine Baker. Absolutely. Did, absolutely. Because of limited opportunities. Here. Yeah, exactly. So she turned herself into a really big star, global star. But the, once again, it's ironic in the sense uh, Piccadilly was silent film, right? And because of her enormous kind of, you know, extraordinary performance, she was invited to play a lead role uh, on stage. And this is a really serious, you know, British theater. Mm -hmm. But the moment she spoke, she had this kind of California Valley girl yeah, right. accent. Yeah. And uh, the critics were appalled. And that's when she realized, you know, film was making the important transition from silent to talkie. And so she spent a lot of money really, uh, hiring a, a coach from Oxford. And um, so she left America in 1928, disappointed, you know, at Hollywood. And she left as like a chic, you know, a, a flapper. But she returned wearing uh, expensive European designer clothes and a sporting upper-class British accent. So that's why I want to point out her performance in this, her accent. You know, this is really... As a result, it's totally different from her actual speech, right? And so, so she put in a lot of work for this. So, so this is a really kind of a, a important moment for her career. We'll continue with Yunte Huang, who's the author of the biography Daughter of the Dragon, Anna Mae Wong's Rendezvous with American History, talking about uh, the most famous Chinese-American actor from the early days of cinema all the way through the early days of television. We'll be back in just one minute. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3.
Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center presenting American Mariachi by Jose Cruz Gonzalez. It's the 1970s and women can't be mariachis. Or can they? American Mariachi is a feel-good comedy about familia, amor, and tradición that will send your heart soaring and put a bounce in your step with a wave of vibrant, infectious live music. On stage through June 9th, tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Will you never let me be? Oh, will you never set me free? The ties that bound us are still around us. There's no escape that I can see. Listening to a young Ella Fitzgerald, another beautiful rendition. This of These Foolish Things... The song written by the British songwriter Eric Mashwitz. Supposedly, he wrote the song for Anna Mae Wong, with whom he was in love. That song has been performed not just by Ella, but Billie Holiday, many others as well. We're talking about the life of the actor Anna Mae Wong, the book Daughter of the Dragon, written by UC Santa Barbara professor Yunte Huang. Um, Yunte, um... This another example of how, because of anti-miscegenation laws, that any sort of relationship that Anna Mae Wong had with someone who was not Asian American could not be legal. And who was she meeting in the work that she's doing? It's largely white people. Absolutely. So on the screen, she couldn't get the lead role because of the you know Hays Code, uh, the anti-miscegenation practice that. Uh, uh, she cannot kiss a white man or be kissed by a white man. As a result, apparently rom-com cannot have her as the lead. Um, and in reality, in real life, she encountered the same dilemma, right? And, uh, uh, of course, the anti-miscegenation laws, uh, the working-class people, could, a lot of them could still get around it. I mean, the sad reality is that, for instance, just give you one example, a lot of Irish women you know, in those years were married Chinese men, um, but these are working class practices, and uh, the government will never go after them, right? But Anime Wang, she was living the limelight. Right? Yeah. Any misstep she took could jeopardize her career. So, and she had a, also a cautionary tale from another friend, for instance, uh, since we're talking about films, uh, James, James Wang Hao, uh, her kin, you know, yeah. uh, a brother almost. Um, Great cinematographer. Uh, absolutely, yeah. won Oscar twice. And when he married, uh, you know, uh, his Caucasian wife, they had to get married in France, and the couple had to hide the marriage for 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 many years. So that was a really cautionary tale for Anime One. So once again, we encountered this historical historical irony. One of the most beautiful Chinese women 
couldn't get married. Wow. Let's uh, let's listen to another clip. This from Shanghai Express, 1932. Marlena Dietrich with Anna Mae Wong. And in this scene, uh, Wong's character shares a cheeky moment with the boarding housekeeper, Mrs. Haggerty, played by Louise Closser Hale. I have a boarding house in Shanghai. Yorkshire pudding is my specialty, and I only take the most respectable people. Don't you find respectable people terribly dull? You're joking, aren't you? I've only known the most respectable people. You see, I keep a boarding house. What kind of a house did you say? A boarding house. I'm sure you're very respectable, madam. I must confess, I don't quite know the standard of respectability that you demand in your boarding house, Mrs. Haggerty. From Shanghai Express. And Wong knew Marlena Dietrich from her time in Europe, is that right? Absolutely. She met her there? Absolutely. There was a very famous you know, photo taken of three of them, Anime Wong, Marlena Dietrich, and Lenny... Uh, Riefenstahl, Hitler's camera woman. And the, when the picture was taken, actually in, in, the, uh, uh, in the fall of 1928, Marlena Dietrich was not really a big star yet. She had not played in uh, Blue Angel, and uh, Lenny had not become Hitler's camera woman either. So anyway, one was actually a much bigger star than the rest, the other two. But anyway, so in Shanghai Express, however, in 1932, Malina just came to United States, left Germany, and she was really, you know, uh, Joseph von Sternberg was totally in love with her or making love to her with the camera. So it is a, a Dietrich, you know, a film, uh, granted, but Anime One playing second fiddle, she really held her ground, as you see this clip, you know. She actually had the most of the dead pants, yeah. like kind of gum oil in her soto voce, you know, quiet voice. Um, both uh, Melina Dietrich and Anime Wang were playing this kind of infamous, right, Shanghai Lily, and uh, and this is uh, uh, Anime Wang was playing this uh, reformed Chinese prostitute going back to Shanghai to live a respectable life, and so eventually, uh, if you, I, I don't want to give people a spoiler alert because this is really one of my favorite Anime Wang films, and um, she was the one actually took the step to change history and killed you know, uh, Henry Chang, who is, uh, again, played by Warner Olin. So uh, it's interesting, you know, earlier, the daughter of the dragon, yeah. Warner Olin was Dr. Fu Manchu. So the two actually were very close. I was going to say, they're sense, friends, they're weren't very they? good friends, with very good friends, certainly, right? She, um, in her later years, as so often happens with women as they get older in the acting business, so that's changed. In yeah. recent years, we see many uh, older uh, older uh, women actors who are getting cast, but in in her case, the work was largely drying up. She had a little bit of television, and um, it's very sad what happened in her later years, heavy alcohol use, right? and she died of a heart attack. How old was she? Uh, 56. Yeah, just like Wanda Olin, who also died of alcoholism at a very rather young age. Um, uh, Anime Wang, again, you know, um, uh, her 50, in the 50s decade for her was she would have one, a drink in one hand, a cigarette in the other. 
And uh, so eventually, you know, she, and she would tell corny jokes. And uh, she was still kind of trying to have a big comeback, right? Yeah. This is really the Sunset Boulevard kind of, you know, another version of that, Norma Desmond, you know, right. trying to make the big comeback. But and flower, she was waiting for that. Well, on Flower Drum Song, exactly. they were adapting to a film yeah. from the stage hit. Did she yeah. have a role that, that she was likely oh, to be absolutely. cast for? She was asked to play, uh, and you know, uh, Anne Liang. She was supposed. This is. This was. Would have been. What a comeback a vehicle comeback. that would have been. And so she, when she died of heart attack in the at her house in Santa Monica, you know the film script was lying next to her. She was really working hard trying to make this big comeback. So I would call her the star coolie in Hollywood's dream factory. Well, the biographical film is obvious for this, and um, we hope to see that as well. Yunde, thank you so much for being with us again. We appreciate it and telling the story of Anime Wong. Thank you for having me, Larry. His book is Daughter of the Dragon, Anime Wong's Rendezvous with American History. Yunte Huang is the author of the book. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Have a wonderful weekend. We remind you, in case you missed any of the program, including our critics' reviews, you can hear them all by going to LAist.com or download the podcast wherever you get your audio. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.